A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode, and we'll look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... It's Andy. It's David. It's Jan. This week, we are talking about Revelations, which is episode 7 of season 3. It was written by Doug Petrie and directed by James A. Cotner, and it originally aired November 17th, 1998. This is Doug's first episode, right? This is Doug's first yep. episode. Last week we Doug, had yeah, Jane Espenson doing her first episode, him. and now we've got Doug Petrie, who it has done some really great episodes, some not-so-great episodes, tends to write the second-to-last episode of the season a lot. Yeah. Okay. He also wrote Fool for Love, which is a magnificent episode. Yeah. No, there there are some really great episodes and then some ones that are just kind of, uh, but yeah, no, great, great writer. Um, I, I'm quite fond of him. So yay. Welcome, Doug. Hi, Doug. I think season three is really where we get kicked into gear when it comes to getting in like all of the, the usual suspects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we start out this episode at the bronze with Dingo's Ate My Baby plan. Yeah. I hear you, David. I actually have a note that says, how's Oz's guitar playing, David? Um, starts out okay, goes a little flaky at one point, and then kind of finishes up all right. So. Okay. Yeah, I didn't notice any, like, egregious, like, oh my god. It's He's I- getting better. Yeah, it wasn't the Brent Spiner level of not playing the violin in Star Trek Next Generation. I have a lot of all caps notes in this episode. All relating to the storyline that shall not be named. Basically, my first note is, I will read, this is in all caps. Kill this storyline, dead. Kill it dead. Shut up, Willow. And for fuck's sake, why do you keep sitting next to each other? There is not a lot of punctuation in that. Oh, I don't blame you. I've just got, I'm so tired of the story. Fuck this storyline. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. much me too. I do have notes about the... 90s-ness of Oz's shirt, which is glorious. I know, right? Yes. Oh my God. Like bowling shirts over t-shirts. It was like, yes, 90s. (laughs) Oz is timeless. Yeah, that that shirt is so shiny and gold. But Oz would totally wear that now. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Oz is like timeless in his wardrobe, I'm sure. He is is who he is in all time. Yeah, that is true. Well, yes. in terms of this storyline, which shall not be named, let's we've got mm. one more episode. Let's just white knuckle it. <laughs> yeah, I. The sooner it's dead, the happier I will be. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. oh my god! Just... I mean, I have to say, I I've been thinking about it, and you know, the reason I hate this storyline so much is because I mean, we know why it's here. It's here because they have to have Xander and Cordelia break up. Yeah, but it is so ham-fisted and random in everything they do up until the last moment. Yeah, it's not even like something that you care about or adds angst. It is so, it is, it's badly rendered and it's it's just shoved in there and I want to punch somebody. It's bad and it's badly thought yeah. out. It's just, there's nothing good about it. And like, you could have done this in a, in a better way. Yeah. You could have yeah, achieved the same thing in a better way. It's just fucking terrible. 
Um, yeah, I don't yeah. think their internal struggle is very convincing. No. It's just fucking awkward. Yeah. It's one of these bad sitcom things where, oh my god, we can't keep e- our hands off each other. As soon as people are have their back turned, we're just going to lunge at each other. Like, yeah. stop it. That's not how this shit works. Especially if you're doing things clandestinely, and I can speak a little bit from, like, personal <clears throat> experience. Way, way in the dark history, recesses of my life. But yeah, if you're playing around with somebody and there are other persons around you don't do this shit it's just there's other ways to do it and it's badly yeah. done so yeah. i will judge there them. is another couple that's talked about in the scene because they all think that buffy might be dating somebody new and she says no they're mm. just good friends and i ship it fuffy i, I know, thought it was really i love that yeah. i put that in my notes too i was like oh fuffy call out that's what they call it right fuffy fuffy yeah that's what fuffy. people call it now back in the day they just called it faith Buffy. Uh, yeah, I wish. I so wish there was much. an L in there somewhere <laughs> that we could use. <laughs> yeah, I knew people who did ship it, and I, I mean, it's not my thing, but I so see it. Yeah. It's like it's one of those things where it's, I'm not really that into it, but it's blatantly obvious, and that's okay. That's cool. Well, I remember that back in the day uh, when it was talked about, somebody had mentioned it to Joss Whedon, and he kind of dismissed it as, "Oh, you just want to see hot girls kissing." And they, and like, he should talk. Well, no, they actually, they actually <laughs> said it's like, no, you've got to look at this. And they had like written an essay about like all of the reasons why Buffy and Faith are kind of in, into each other. And Joss actually read it and said, "You have a point. You do have a. I mean, no, there's definitely <laughs> right. a subtext yeah. right. between them. Yeah. And you know what? It's not about even at the time, not about hot girls kissing because most of the people out. Yeah, it's there, not queer baiting at all. Most of the people yeah. out there that read and write fic, not like 100% are women, and many of them are queer women. And so it was one of the greatest femme slash ships, I think, ever out there, I would say. Yeah. So. And I think mm-hmm. one of the other writers has since admitted that they wrote basically that Faith was into Buffy, but Buffy was completely like, not that she, she wasn't into it, but that she just didn't oblivious to oblivious. it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where I don't think it's queer baiting at all. It just works well in terms of mm-hmm. the dynamics and everything else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I, if that had happened, I would not have been shocked or bothered yeah. by it. So. Yeah, I low-key ship it. Yeah, it technically, yeah. It, 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 it couldn't work out because they have an agenda, which is going to come to fruition in this episode. Oh, yeah, right. definitely. Uh, you know, I mean, there is a tiny window of, like, the first... 10 or 15 minutes of this episode where that ship works. Yeah. <laughs> well, that doesn't and stop. And can I just say, it really makes me sad. Yeah. It really makes me sad because we know where this is going in this episode. And it's just like, you know, as we'd said before, Faith tries so damn hard mm-hmm. to like fit in and to be part of it. And Buffy, like, because she is oblivious, she screws the pooch. And it's a mm-hmm. shame because she, Faith really wants to be a part of this group. Yeah. I will, I will have some thoughts on this later, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this episode is really kind of the beginning of the end of Faith in in yeah. terms of, like I've commented in the last couple episodes, it's like, look at Buffy and Faith, they're getting along. This is so weird when you look at it, you know, compared mm-hmm. to the later episodes, but this is kind of the episode where we start to get that downfall of their relationship. We'll get like maybe one more episode where they're, they're getting along, but this is kind of the start of it. Now that double mm-hmm. sleigh in the graveyard is iconic. 
it's the synchronized great. slaying. The synchronized yes. slaying yeah. is yes, very I, like cool. when I think about those two working together, that is what I always think about. When I think about Kendra, I think the two slayers, no waiting. And when I think about Buffy and Faith, I think about this like you know synchronized slang and i just mm-hmm. i think it's a great shot that mm-hmm. was set up mm-hmm. there and a lot of fun and giles is wearing his hot guy scarf again <laughs> just for you andy i do think one of the great things about having faith as the ultimate well not ultimate but buffy's main opponent in this season is that they're so well matched and they have been mm-hmm. working together as friends that they have developed this rhythm so and you even see it in this episode that it is very much like buffy is fighting a dark mirror so mm-hmm. they're, mm-hmm. they're yeah. very similar to each other yeah. they've got the same strength and everything and we are yep. introduced to gwendolyn post mrs uh, yes. Who back in the day, everybody I know just called her Kristen Scott Thomas's sister. Which is unfair yeah. to the it's actress because she's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a good actress. But it was so funny because while I was watching this, somebody was asking me about the film Nowhere Boy. And like, oh, who is the person who played Julia? And it was Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm watching her sister yeah. right now on television. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I mean, the reason why back in the day when this episode first came out is because the English patient was ginormous mm. back then so right. it was all- i right. don't like that movie fyi i hate that I, movie. I don't care for it either but that was it was a huge thing at the time but serena scott thomas she played like princess diana and she's done a lot of other stuff and she is really mm-hmm. great in this but i mean the second she's introduced it's like okay you're evil yeah oh yeah, yeah. i mean uh, even the they first- telegraph that one from like she's not wrong I've, I've brought this up before. There is a good... I timed it this time. There is 30 full seconds of kicking and punching before anyone pulls a stake. <laughs> oh, So David. she's totally right that they take way too long to stake the vampires. <laughs> David needs to be hired by the Watchers. Yeah, David would be... Uh... he obviously would be a good observer and like notes to the... You know, can you imagine the monthly notes? They need yeah. an efficiency expert. David... Well, I, I, <laughs> David would be a firm but kind watcher. Yes. A lot like Giles, I think, actually. Meanwhile, Post is just absolutely terrible. Just everything she said. I used the term hate sink because she she comes into the, you know, after, you know, she talks about criticizing Buffy and Faith slaying. We get the opening credits and then we get into the group of them in the library and Post is just laying Giles out for just everything wrong with his library. And I don't really, well, I mean, I get that Post is not actually, you know, spoiler, spoiler, not part of the council, but she was. And I think a lot of her attitude is something that we're supposed to believe the council shares. So I don't really understand. It's like, okay, the main point of the Watcher's Council is to train the Slayer. So if Giles is so, like, untrusted by the Watcher's Council, why is he the one who's watching the Slayer? Very good question. Well, maybe he's American enough, maybe. (laughs) But from what we know by the end of the episode, and pretty much right away, is that she's doing this. This is like a strategy to put him on the back foot, to get him 
completely like doubting his own abilities as a watcher. But she, you know, they say at the end she hasn't been a watcher for several years. So I don't take it as like this is what the council thinks about Giles. I do think it's what they think about Giles and somewhat. It is exactly what they think about Giles because in Helpless and once we get Wesley in there, they will have the exact same attitude as as Gwendolyn Post. Oh yeah, for sure. Basically, the only difference between Gwendolyn Post and every other watcher that we meet is that she happens to be actually evil actually evil not just an asshole yeah (laughs) right i mean no that's i mean the watchers council they just say they're there to train slayers their whole thing is to be jerks that is what the watchers council is about (laughs) then how did how did poor giles actually like slip through he's a a legacy the cracks yeah okay yeah Yeah. he is he is a legacy yeah and yeah. the, but I did found it. I found it really interesting because it's like you know Giles, and we had the thing a couple of episodes ago where he's like, "Yeah, they go on this retreat, I, and they never invite me." And it's like he has this, and I think this may, you know, I mean, I could I can speculate that it's because of his his wild days and then coming back into the fold that he has this sort of reverent view of the Watchers Council, which makes him so susceptible to post strategy here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I is that, that. It, he really he? I mean, like he doesn't even call the council and say, "Did you send a watcher?" That's mm-hmm. <laughs> like he doesn't even consider that maybe something funny's going on. Yeah, it doesn't even occur yeah. to him. Yeah, he just accepts it. Yeah. Okay. One of the other things about this scene that I I think we absolutely need to talk about because it's it, it's it, the it, elephant in the room, but Buffy's fucking Buffy's hat. tank top in that fucking yeah. hat. I knew it! Yes. Oh, yes. How 90s is this here? We need to have, like, a sliding scale of, like, 1 to 20 instead of, like, how 90s it is. And that was, like, that was off the charts 90s. It was adorable. Oh, yeah. Well, she, I mean, she, she is adorable in that Oh, hat. God. It is. My, yeah. my note said, oh, Buffy, no. I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> I, I mean, I've defended her toques before, but this one with, like, rhinestone, it says, what is it, bomb on it? Yeah. That, yeah, she she's the bomb. Yeah. And it's just so bad. Oh my god, just no. But it was like so in at the time. At least like I knew punk girls and yeah. stuff who, who dressed that way, so. But Buffy is not a punk. No. I know. Yeah. But I'm saying I knew girls who dressed that way. It was just like it was it was sort of like edgy streetwear or something. I don't know. I was too yeah. old for that crap, so. I I just think it's it's adorable in a clueless sort of way. <laughs> With the pink tank top, and it just—it's just not. Uh, even in the '90s, I was just like, "Girl, no, uh-uh, take that off." She was wearing it when she was slaying, wasn't she? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It looked fine when she was wearing the jacket, but yes. But once you got inside, and it's like—I mean, maybe it's just me getting older, and it's just like, "Ooh, Buffy outerwear." <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that hat needed to come off. <laughs> Yeah, take your hat off. Also, it's like, you know, it's it's California. Why are you wearing a hat on? In, in, yeah. Especially inside. It's New Mexico, yeah. and sometimes I like to put a hat on because I don't get the opportunity. So if it falls below 65, I might put a hat on. Just saying. <laughs> Andy lives in New Mexico, and she got a big-ass scarf when we were at 221B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I use it as a lap blanket. I crank up the air conditioning and use my scarf as a lap blanket, all right? I like my knitwear. Okay. 
We're not judging you. And, and one of our friends legit turned to her and said, MC lives in Canada. <laughs> I've been wanting that scarf for like a whole year since last time we I, I raffled know, I it off. It. So, you know. Well, there is one important fact we learn in this scene. There are 12 cemeteries in the city limits of Sunnydale. There are 12. Yeah. yeah. We, we've already, we had mention of how many churches there are but this is the first time they've mentioned cemeteries i i wonder if that includes graveyards because cemeteries and graveyards different things giles specifically mentions that's within the city limits yeah so there may be many more in the surrounding areas yes yes we get some sexy forbidden tai chi to justify david boreanaz's credit and paycheck uh well no i would actually say i would disagree with that Angel is actually important in this episode for the first time this that, season. That's true. He actually is in this episode yeah. doing something for the plot. But didn't I think we referenced this or we talked about this uh, a week or two ago in terms of like naked or half naked David Boreanaz Tai Chi. It is very sexy. Yes. And he does put on a shirt at the end of this scene, at the end of the workout. This is probably <laughs> the sexiest I find Angel and Buffy in this scene. Yeah. Like as a as a yeah. it's it's sort of that like when you're holding back and you know you can't do something. Like I don't dislike Bangle as much in this season because I think it's also a metaphor for letting go of a first love and how to navigate that. Yeah. And, like falling back into I've done it. You know, boyfriends, oh, we're just gonna be friends now and then it's sort of this weird tension until you finally let it go. I also yeah. kinda love that the production yeah. team are like, So here's the deal. We're going to give all you men liking people some eye candy. And and they don't do that with the women so much. I mean, not that the women are beautiful, but like, yeah. it's it's always the men folk that get the... Yeah, that's much more... It's female gaze. Yeah. yeah, even from a male director, it's female yeah. gaze. Which is very nice. And also, unlike the relationship that we shall not discuss, there's actually sexual tension here. I actually feel like there's chemistry between the two of them. Oh, yeah, David and Sarah have always had chemistry. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. There's like, when you're talking about forbidden and you can't, you know, forbidden fruit, as it were, you feel it here, unlike... I, well, I think Buffy and Angel also have much more restraint. They actually like acknowledge the fact that it's forbidden and try to hold back. Meanwhile, the mm-hmm. other two are just like, oh, this is so wrong, but we're going to do it anyways. It's it's a little less of a pure plot device. Yeah, I think w- yeah. with this storyline, as opposed to Buffy and Angel in season two, they were pushing the true love aspect so hard in season two that I found it intolerable because Mm. they were building up to this whole, we've got to have this tragic end. But here they knew that they weren't going to work out. And so you see the cracks in their relationship throughout this season. So it's kind of this idea of even though we love each other, we're not going to be able to be together. And so that dichotomy Mm -hmm. makes the relationship a lot easier for someone who does not like them together to take. I do love how Buffy talks about going cold turkey. I'm like, you're not even slightly going going cold turkey. No. Just don't just no. don't see him. What you, what, she's not even tapering off. No. She's just like just, doing the thing. It's kind of hilarious. She's doing it Yeah, she's doing it full blown and then like, yeah, I'm going cold turkey. Excuse me? What? Did she ever tell him that she's no longer dating Scott? So far, I no. don't remember that. I just assume she, I just assume she did. I I I kind of assume it it happened off screen, but no, we don't see it. Cuz last time she's 
She's like, yeah, Scott's fine. <laughs> yeah, she she intentionally did not mention that they had broken up. So that's why it was so glaring to me. Mm-hmm. I do notice that Angel's standing in some pretty bright light in the scene. Yeah, <laughs> so inconsistent. And also, this is, I think, the first reference to it being Tuesday in Sunnydale. Because huh. uh, Buffy comments on it being... Because, I mean, I know everybody, and certainly, I mean, I caught it because that's why we opened the way we open the show everybody always thinks of once more with feeling when buffy says don's in trouble must be tuesday, tuesday. but buffy here says that it's just another tuesday night in sunnydale which is a great little call to their uh to when they're airing and when they will be airing for the rest of their tenure although that particular use of tuesday has long tradition yeah that's the whole of it this is tuesday it must be Bell. exactly I, I one of these days yeah. i really Need to see if anyone's done research on the first time Tuesday was used specifically as a, oh, this is just a generic day. Yeah, as compared to like a day ending in Y. So. Well, I think in terms of this, it was definitely a reference to the day that they were airing because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 After Buffy and Angel have their forbidden Tai Chi thing, we get into library research with the gang. (laughs) And you know what? We're not going to talk about the thing that shall not be named again. (laughs) There is one thing about Xander that I was surprised by. Um, In between all my all caps notes, there's things like, hey, Xander understands the word no. That's progress? (laughs) Because if somebody goes, well, this is something which is no, and this is something which is also no. And he, he, like, stops. And it's like, and then, of course, things go back to the evil storyline. But, but, like, for a second there, it was like, wait, Xander understood something about... Consent. Consent and the right thing to do? I'm, like... Xander's never... I mean, he's gross, he's inappropriate, but I've never seen Xander as someone that wouldn't stop if someone was saying no. Like, I'll defend Xander. I mean, yes, when he was the hyena, and there's some other stuff, but, like, I've never seen Xander as a flat-out sexual abuser. Oh, no, but but this is is him understanding an implicit no. Like, he comes to this on his own. (laughs) I I think we should savor that second, because we may never see it again. (laughs) You know, we won't comment on the plot line that we shall not name, except for the fact that... These two are real assholes because they're actually supposed to be doing something. They have responsibilities and they're putting it aside to do this. In their defense, which is not a defense. I mean, I, I teenagers are stupid that way. I mean, God knows. I, I'm not saying in a bad way. It's just sometimes you, sh- you have responsibilities and you don't because your libido or whatever else well, takes well, over. Well, I just want to say that I this keeps on coming up on the podcast. We keep on saying it's like, oh, they're teenagers. Let's, you know. We can take yeah. that as writ that they're teenagers at this point. I'm not saying it's good It's yeah. good storyline, well, but it happens. Well, well, no. I mean, and I'm this is, yeah. this is something that I think we've all said at some point. We've said, oh, they're teenagers. But I think that even taking into account that they're teenagers, these are extraordinary teenagers. So the fact that they're, I, it just, it, it, it bothered me that. And yeah. they're in extraordinary circumstances. True. But I think, I think the point in the story is supposed to be that, you know, whether it's true or not, it's the writers too, as we've said, there are other mm-hmm. things where they don't understand. They actually don't remember what it's like to be a teenager or whatever. And so they're not, all of a sudden, well, this is what teenagers do. So yeah. they, they have them I, do I mean, it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with MC on this. In in a general sense, I mean, for me, my thought is these are our heroes. They're not supposed to be the base level teenager. And there's only and, and like, yes, you're going to have them do certain teenagery things. It's going to happen. But there comes a point where it's like, no, this is 
this is beyond what they should be doing because of their role in the story beyond being teenagers. I I think that, yeah, there are times when we're going to point out they are being teenagers, but I think sometimes we maybe need to look at it more like a positive light. Like, this is really great that the writers understand this kind of behavior. But yeah, in this case, I'm just like, guys, Mm -hmm. get your fucking shit together because poor Giles is over here eating his feelings, which is the most important thing to me in this scene, not just because of my Giles love. It's because of the, like, Mm -hmm. you can see, like, the ramping up pain and discomfort and things in Giles, which then they complain about Giles being a jerk when really Mm -hmm. Giles is just trying to get the work done. And if these folks are going to be around his library and say that they want to help him be a part of the team, they need to fucking do their job. Yeah. Well, it's, it's again, it's the bad writing of the whole, the whole thing we don't want to talk about and how they, they treat them. So just, we can move along from that. We can get into faith and Buffy bonding yeah, they're having this nice bonding scene, and Faith. Yeah. We're getting a little idea of Faith's, you know, issues with men and everything she's gone through. I think what's important in this scene too that I observed this time is that Faith is trying to use whatever limited resources she has to be empathetic and dr- sometimes I think it's like, yeah, it's face yes. issues with men, but she's also like, let me tell you about all these shitty guys I dated. Maybe you could open up a little bit about Angel. You know, she asked him yeah. what it was like. She's really trying to bond with Buffy and she's using these things as a way to do that. And Buffy just shuts her down, which is fine. Buffy, anyone actually can choose to say, I don't feel like I want to talk about that, but I can totally see what Faith is doing with trying to form a connection, more deep friendship connection instead of just like a slayer slayer kind of thing. I think you're exactly right. The thing is, I, I think what's happening here, and I'm not judging it one way or the other, what Faith is doing, she is really trying to bond, but she's letting that urge to bond push past her ability to respect boundaries. And Buffy is like, no, I don't want to talk about this. Buffy's right. She should have the right not to talk about it. But it Faith is doing something that's not great, but from kind of a good place. She's basically got blinders on. I think also Faith takes any like shutting down or Buffy putting a wall, which is Buffy, mm-hmm. as, as a personal insult and a personal barb and that's going to color things later on too because like oh you're not going to tell me what's going on therefore you don't like me or something it's a bittersweet thing because you can see what's going on here and it's just their personal dynamics and how they respond to people well i think part of the problem is this whole this whole episode does build up to faith being an outsider in this because she is trying to reach out to buffy in this and then we will find out later on that this whole interaction happens where they do the intervention with Buffy and they get everybody there. They get Cordelia, they get Oz and Faith is left out of the situation. And I think that feeds everything that happens going until the end of the season. Yeah. And and in this case, yeah, she's pushing some boundaries, but at this point, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, and I am going to bring up the teenager thing here. This is a 17 year old girl who is never besides her watcher that she had for a few months that died bloody and brutally to really care for her. She's never had anyone that truly cares for her. And so she's trying to form bonds and Mm -hmm. she doesn't quite know how to do it. And she doesn't know how to trust. So it does feel, feel like a horrible betrayal when she's left out faith goes off the handle in this a lot of times but i almost sort of i think the first time i watched through this first run i was like oh faith come on really and now i'm sort of like oh yeah i mean based on what we know about you and your history and what we're going to know later you you don't know how to trust and communicate and so that's 
that guarded like fuck you bad girl attitude is always going to come on as a mask and a shell for her right and it's also one of those things where sometimes people some not everything is always personal that you know but that's the problem you know she's hypersensitive to that stuff so she's taking any rejection or any forgetting of her as a for lack of a better word as a flat out oh fuck you we don't want you around faith which is not what happened they just didn't think which is them i think this is actually something that this episode does fairly well present us situations in which Looking at it from the outside, you can see both sides really clearly. You know, there is the thing about, you know, Faith kind of pushing Buffy on the angel thing and Buffy saying, no, I want a boundary here and Faith going, I want a bond, but okay. So you can understand both of their positions. And and also, as far as the meeting is concerned, you can see Faith's like, oh, well, I was excluded. But at the same time, it occurs to me that, like, the meeting is about Buffy hiding angel faith was not around for any of the angel stuff and and i'm not saying they were right to do this but i can see how they would go these are the people who need to talk to buffy about this right they didn't call her mom either i would disagree on that simply because angel is a vampire and angel is a vampire who has killed a lot of people in sunnydale and being Mm -hmm. that faith is a slayer who is active in sunnydale it's important for her to know all of the information because we will see what happens when she only gets part of the information in this. I totally agree. Oh, that's true. Nobody's saying that they were right to do it, but David's correct in that this is why <laughs> this was the, whatever little thought went into it, that yeah. was the thought yeah. behind it. I'm just it. saying that that's probably what their perspective was, yeah. not that they were correct. Yeah, no, I, but I mean, I just, all of this, I think, leads up to faith's ultimate downfall because what Mm -hmm. happens with faith is that she kills somebody and then everybody expects faith to open up to them and talk about what has happened to her but uh, until that time nobody has opened up to her and given her reason to trust them everybody that she has given trust to has you know either died or or betrayed her like Gwendolyn Post does in this. Mm-hmm. So they really do a great job of setting up why oh, Faith yeah. falls. That's really, yeah. No, I, I, I really agree with you. I'm seeing that. I just, I'm really feeling that in this episode. It is. And this episode is a very transitional episode. Like a lot happens and a lot happens quickly. And it's really, mm-hmm. this isn't my favorite episode. I don't think it's a bad episode. I think it's a pretty good episode. But it's also incredibly important. I would never skip this episode. I would never tell anybody to skip this episode because mm-hmm. it has so many repercussions for everybody going forward yeah well if you really look at it it really is kind of a prequel to like the whole bad girls consequences thing like we will get in between Mm -hmm. a couple of episodes that are like breather episodes like we get lovers walk and the wish and amends and stuff and all of this stuff kind of Mm -hmm. is a breather before we get into the dark faith arc just moving on from this scene because we will have lots more time to talk about Buffy and Faith. We get Faith fighting the demon. The only note I have is no glove, no love. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's really, she fights the demon, there's no glove, the demon gets pissed off. So I just wrote no glove, yeah. no love. I, I literally oh. have no notes. Yeah, that's all I've got. It was just like, okay. After Faith fights the demon, then we have Xander finding out about Angel because he's they're going to try to find the glove and 
Xander instead finds Angel with the glove. So much for cold turkey. And as nicely erotic as the Tai Chi moment was, their kissing isn't very good. It's all like I just I didn't feel the kissing. I also thought that the the kissing scene was jarring Mm -hmm. because I mean like we did have this whole setup of forbidden love, forbidden love, but then the next scene that they're together in, they're suddenly kissing, and I get that we need to have Xander see them kissing, but it just there the build up was weird because I don't even know how Buffy got there. It just kind of happened. Yeah, she she just fell onto his. But lips. the buildup is weird because we see it all from Xander's perspective at first, right? We see it yeah. through a window. We see Xander, and Xander is so stupid to go to that mansion. You know what I mean? Just by himself when he doesn't know. Yeah, he sees that Angel is still alive. Xander was not part of the conversation about how the spell went. So, do we know that Xander knows that he's not Angelus anymore? Yeah, no, I, we don't. Yeah, and no. so Xander is just like... He seems to assume in this episode that he is Angelus. So shouldn't, like, the first thing he do, go to the others? But no, he goes to the mansion and says sees Buffy and Angel together and just, ah. Oh. Yeah. Xander has a history of being very stupid when it comes to Angel. Yes. You think? Yeah. <laughs> I never noticed. Then we go from Xander seeing them together to a scene of Buffy and Angel and it's forbidden lovey and they're like oh we shouldn't have done that and i'm just like okay do you know what you were cool doing tai chi but i am now tired of this and then it gets glovey and we have gwendolyn and giles together i have my theories about giles in this scene about like motivation right so at first i was like why aren't you telling this woman off like why aren't you being more firm but I think it's because he is afraid of the council and he's afraid that they're going to find out that he's more, and mm-hmm. I use quote fingers, lax with his slayer and lets her have friends. And like, so I think he's trying. He's afraid that he's going to get he's fired. He's going to get fired and that Buffy will be taken from him. The person that understands her the best in terms of her slaying, her duty, but also knows how to compromise and work with her. So yeah, I didn't just, mm-hmm. and she's just, and Gwendolyn Post, I would say, I'll say Serena Scott Thomas is so great. She just, she's so take charge. And so mm-hmm. she's constantly just putting someone on the back foot by not allowing them to get anything in or... I I think it's actually Mm -hmm. a pretty brilliant performance. I like her as a one-off villain a lot. One of the great things about her is that she is so unpleasant that you know that she is going to be an antagonist in some way, but you don't really realize that she is going to be flat-out evil. You're wondering, it's like, okay, is she going to try and kill Angel? Is she going to try to pit Buffy and Faith against each other? You don't kind of realize it's like, oh no, she's actually going after the glove. I was watching this episode with my brother and my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law had seen it before, but my brother, he might have seen it because I've watched Buffy many times, but he he didn't remember it. So when we came to the scene, he's like, are they going to hook up? Oh, uh, you know. <laughs> and I just burst out laughing. I mean, Giles, Tony has chemistry with a rock and a cup of tea. So like, you know, yeah. I, I would yeah. not preclude it hate sex from this equation if she hadn't gone evil in an alternate universe where she stuck around and she wasn't evil she was just a meanie pants oh (laughs) so you're thinking like a a wesley lila kind of thing yes total hate sex i could totally get that vibe that's not is that's not what happens but you know uh, she's an attractive woman so hate sex is on the table yeah she's beautiful but xander comes in and fills giles in on the situation and Post obviously knows that something's going on, but not 
quite what. And then we get into the intervention. Oh. And oh my god. Before that, I just want to point out, something bothers me about the scene at Giles's place. Okay. Why are they using tea bags? They're not. They are. I, she pulled out a tea ball. Um, is it a tea ball? Oh, no. She uses, they use bags in the library in a later on scene, I think. No, no. They don't use them in the, in later in the library. That's why I noticed it. Because Giles has a teapot at the library. That he doesn't have a teapot at home. It's because he's American now. Fine. Well, why I have teapots. <laughs> I was sure I saw her pull out a tea ball, but I might be wrong. I think she might have actually taken out a tea bag and replaced it with a tea ball. That would be a very meanie yeah. pants British lady thing to do. Like, your tea is not good enough mm-hmm. for me. Because you are too American now. Real Brits use tea balls. <laughs> I will say that pretty much all of us on this podcast are very invested in our tea. Um, we're all very big tea connoisseurs. So, <laughs> yes, of course, yes. it would bother us that there it was tea We're drinking tea, tea right yeah. now. <laughs> so, the intervention. The intervention, yes. We get to the intervention. And, oh, my God, this gang should just not talk about big issues in groups together. Because they do not. They need a mediator. And Willow's not good at doing it. Oh, God, no. They're not using the I, I phrases. Oh, shut up. I think that's a cute, I actually find that to be a really cute line because Willow really is trying to keep the discussion civil and be on Buffy's side as much as everybody else's side. She's trying, but she's not good at it. See, this group can, they need to have a group counselor come in to actually like direct people because they cannot do it on their own. Um, I got an A plus in group counseling, so I volunteer myself. <laughs> when we move to the universe where we write the show. I hate Xander, but he kind of right actually i think the whole gang is right like i really and i don't feel like this is unlike other scenes we've had in the past that we've talked about how they just lay on buffy they do but they're right you know they i I mean xander's awful about it and i hate him but oz even quietly Mm -hmm. saying stuff with his concern and giles obviously and giles holds it together do the whole thing. Giles could have gone off. He does yeah. later. But, you know, for once, I think the gang is right. And Buffy was wrong. Yeah. And she entirely mm-hmm. lashes out. And the fact that she brings up, it's like, oh, this is entirely about jealousy between you and Angel. When she, she which she says to Xander. Now, granted, I think Xander's hatred of Angel will always be rooted in jealousy. But I don't think in this moment that that's what he's worried about. It, later on. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Xander low blows with the Jenny stuff. Absolute low blows. Like that's Xander being an emotionally immature person and not understanding that even though he's mad at Buffy and they have valid points here, that Giles is standing right there and maybe you're hurting someone else in the process because you're an idiot. The thing that kills in the scene is the very end of it when Giles has gone to his office and basically says to Buffy how disappointed he is. And I mean, he, he doesn't say that in so many words, but that's he he, he is so hurt and disappointed and just and it, it hurts me as much as it hurts Buffy in that moment. Again, Tony, Tony just knocks it out of the park here. It is, I mean, and it's, it's actually a great mirroring of what Buffy's doing. Buffy's argument, if we can call it that, is all about her feelings and what she was going through and everything. And Giles takes that and he basically responds is like, well, here's, here's a practical thing. I don't care about the practical thing. Here's another practical. I don't care about this other practical thing, but Angel tortured me for hours for pleasure and you didn't think to tell me about this 
So he takes the personal aspect of it and basically throws it back in Buffy's face, which, much as I love Buffy, she kind of deserves here. Oh, she 100% deserves And I do love Buffy. And you can see that look on her face when she realizes, oh my God, I really was. Because she may, in the group setting like that, she may not take things well and get super defensive. But she doesn't get defensive back at Giles because she knows what she's done is, is really wrong. And she didn't think about how that will affect Giles, not only as her watcher, but as her father figure, as her mentor, as her friend, as... As a person. And, and like you said, David, Tony, it's stunning. That whole monologue oh, is just... He's just amazing. You know, and Sarah's reaction to him. Again, I talk a lot about how Tony and Sarah are like great scene partners. And I find, you know, the mark of a good actor is what they're doing in the silences and the holding space for the other actor, but holding space as a character. And Sarah's face there is also like, you see the moment when she gets it. And this is what finally gets through to her. I want to call out Cordelia and Oz as being really good in this scene because Cordelia is Cordelia. She puts everything in her Cordelia lens through that filter, but she's entirely Mm -hmm. right that Angelus went after Buffy's friends more than he went after Buffy. So Cordelia has every right to be worried. And also, yeah, Buffy was kissing Angel. So it's like, that's, was part of the big problem before it's like what's going on so i like the way they have cordelia and oz contribute to these group dynamics with these more matter of fact observations yeah they're not mean neither of them are mean i mean cordy's always a little snappy but Mm -hmm. they're they have measured responses instead of Willow trying to do, I mean, Willow's trying to make everybody happy. And I get, and that's definitely a part of Willow's character. Mm. Xander is going to be all kinds of anger and Giles is going to be steel. But the other two, yeah, I really liked having him in on this conversation. And I think they they did it in a way that wasn't as accusatory while still being very blunt about it. You get into somebody who was not there, who absolutely should have been. And that's Faith, who is at her apartment slash hotel room and post comes in who should not have been there. But she teaches her vocabulary words. She learns about the Spartans. Yeah, she does, so yeah. She is educational. I don't think the Spartans would appreciate the comparison, to be honest. No. Me neither. <laughs> also, I think it was a little too luxurious for the Spartans. That's that's what I mean. It's like yeah. that hotel room, it's like Spartans would look at that and go, you've got curtains. <laughs> what the hell? You've got a mattress <laughs> on a bed frame. Exactly. <laughs> But still, it was like it was a nice little educational moment, you know. Even though I feel like, in a way, it was a way of post, like also twisting the knife too by kind of making Faith feel dumb. Now, this obviously comes up later on, but I'm going to mention it now since we're talking about the Spartan comment. But later on, when Faith calls back to it, I really, yes. I don't, I don't yeah. know if it's her accent, it's her accent or what it is, adorable. but the fact that she kind of mispronounces yeah, it it's, it's, it's real really spot. adorable Spartans. i mean i i kind of wonder if like at that in that scene they kind of went oh yeah faith's supposed to be from boston could we emphasize that because <laughs> normally Spartan. normally it's not as obvious as that it's like i mean when i i heard Spartan and i was like this is like they're totally doing this because faith is from boston sometimes but i think sometimes it's just eliza's accent slipping right out like i, I think in this i think they decide to make Faith from Boston because Eliza's from Boston. And I know in other things that I've seen Eliza and she's really careful to not let that come out. And I think, you know, they made a conscious decision to just let Eliza have her own vocal, you know, her own accent. 
as Faith would say, I think it's wicked cute. It's wicked awesome. I love awesome. I love I love Eliza's it's real wicked. little Boston it's, it's real wicked stuff that comes out because I think it's adorable. But um yeah, no, her Boston definitely comes out. Yeah, it's kind of like Chris Evans a little bit, who's, you know, Steve Rogers is supposed to be from Brooklyn and every once in a while, even though he tries really hard not to be from Boston, if you listen to him, he suddenly gets like a little New England inflection yeah. slip in there. Mm. So But on the the character stuff in the scene, I seriously, Faith had no fucking chance. I know, I know. No, no, she's steamrollered here. And Gwendolyn Post is such a master manipulator. Gwendolyn Post is that kind of person that can size someone up so quickly and what their wants and needs and desires are and how to use that. And she really only does it with Giles and Faith because she doesn't interact with a lot of other people. But just using their weaknesses or the perceived weaknesses against them. And that's what she does. You know, I, I'm pretty sure she knows letting slip that they had a secret meeting, what that is going to do to Faith and how that she can be used to control her. It's, it's, a, it's masterful. Yeah, well, she's setting her up totally as a, an instrument against them. So, but yeah. also by giving her some guidance and that she is setting herself up as that parental figure that Faith wants so fucking badly because we get the impression that she had that with her previous watcher who was you know horribly killed and she will have that later on with the mayor everybody who you know has been in an authority figure to faith has failed her and i'm sorry i will even include giles in that because giles is so focused on buffy and i think that's why the buffy and faith relationship kind of goes so south because Faith is the active slayer at this point. This She should be the slayer. But because of Buffy, this random happenstance, Buffy is seen as the slayer. And she's the one with the Watcher who cares about her so much that he will lay his life on the line and kill for her. But Faith doesn't get that. Well, because nobody's loved Faith that much. So, I mean, she has no clue. I just had a revelation in the middle of the episode talking about revelations. So as Faith is a dark mirror for Buffy, the mayor is a dark mirror for Giles. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, because of the, the father-daughter aspects of both those relationships and the nurturing. I just realized that after 21 years that, yeah, that the mayor really is a dark representation of Giles as much as Faith is for Buffy. Wow proud of myself i think that post is sort of like foreshadowing like the mayor situation too because we see that faith is starved for somebody to love her and to listen to her and unfortunately it's that whole manipulative the personality of like a, a manipulative type where they just know how to gaslight you they know and the for one of the first things is always oh you can trust me you can love me you can't trust anybody else nobody else likes you so be with me and listen to me and i will fix you and you can see that it's starting to snowball and it will snowball obviously to very bad situation and unlike wendell and post who's got her own agenda the mayor actually i believe genuinely loves faith he does yeah yeah, yeah. that that's actually what yeah. i was going to say that's the important difference between the two gwendolyn we can really compare her to wesley she uses faith as a tool and that is very much what wesley does they are very much mm -hmm. watchers in the very traditional sense Gwendolyn does it for evil, but Wesley does it, does it in misguided yeah, goodness. Wesley hasn't grown yet. Wesley at least thinks he's doing it for the greater good. 
Whereas Gwendolyn is doing it purely for her own. Yeah, that's why I'm saying she. it's a dark mirror. You um, know, Wesley, as he becomes later on an angel, would have been a great watcher for Faith. Yeah, but timing was off. But Wesley, season three Wesley is just... And we're going to get to Wesley and I'm going to be delighted because I freaking love all kinds of Wesleys, no matter what he's doing, but I just love him. Yeah, but then we get to the next scene and it's Willow and Buffy are at the lockers. Willow is definitely personalizing the situation, but I really appreciate in this episode that Willow is on Buffy's side. She may not agree with Buffy's doing. There's not a blame. There's not Mm -hmm. a... She's actually trying to be there for Buffy in her own misguided Willow way. Yeah, and and, I think Willow, this proves again that Willow genuinely loves Buffy. She's genuinely her friend. You know, it just sometimes you're... What is the the line about only your best friends will tell you the truth? So that's what she kind of did. We get to Xander moodily playing pool at the bronze and Faith comes in and Faith is so hurt and is just... She is just in the completely wrong headspace at this moment just because of post and of course xander is the one she runs into and just ah yeah no that's the exact xander and faith are a toxic combination and they always will be yeah because xander is so damn selfish and and in his own head and with and he has so little empathy and so little consideration of other people outside of him that it just frustrating as hell i mean i don't want to call it goodwill because i basically hate xander throughout this episode but any ground Xander had to stand on in the whole angel argument is completely gone the moment he says, can I go too? When when Faith says that she's going to kill Angel. Because Xander is gaining so much fucking pleasure by the idea that Angel is going to die. And this is it's a throwback to last season when he was pulling this shit too. It's just, it's it's good characterization, but it makes me want to punch him in the face some more. It's not an exact analogy, but but I mean, what I was immediately reminded of was the bit in Becoming. Willow tells him to tell Buffy that she's working on the spell and he encounters Buffy. And uh, Willow just wanted me to tell you good luck. Yeah, his mad on for Angel is... It's it's just it's like, again, Xander is just like, my agenda is more important than your agenda. Or anyone else's agenda. It, it really is just like, my entirely mean-spirited agenda is what is most important. And to me, it's totally fueled by his still ongoing jealousy of like Buffy being with somebody that Xander is not good, bad, or indifferent. And it, it's so shitty of him. It's like totally toxic masculinity to me. It is. And it's and, and Xander doesn't even think of the consequence of, okay, even even if Angel is evil, how much is that going to hurt Buffy? Like, even if, you know, we know he's not and jealous right now, but Xander has no ability to even think about the emotional consequences. Yeah, he just wants Angel dead, regardless of what that's going to do to his supposed other best friend. Xander always does this. He Thinking about the way he says, you know, can I go to, to Faith, it's almost the exact same timber of voice he uses when he talks to Riley about the whole Angel curse. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, telling, you know, Riley about how um, Angel and Buffy had slept together. And he's just he's so vile with everything regarding angel that i completely am on angel's side it's like yeah angelus was a horrible person who killed lots of people and tried to start the apocalypse but xander still comes off worse xander's thing with angel like yes angelus did horrible 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 things but most of the time xander's mad on is really not about that 
It's not about Jenny. It's not about Giles hurting. It's not about protecting Buffy. It's just because he has a vendetta. Like, his reasoning is so specious. It's all toxic jealousy because why is she with this dude? Especially because I think he's so evil and horrible. And even though he is, he doesn't see the bigger picture because Angel and Angelus are two separate beings. And at least when Angelus is evil, it's because he's a vampire. He has an excuse such as it is. Xander is just a dick. (laughs) And Angelus is upfront about, like, the shit he does. Whereas Xander is just a shit-stirring weasel. It's just like, I mean, I think that's why he comes off worse. And the funny thing is, the show wants us to be partially on Xander's side. We're supposed to love Xander. Like, we're, I mean, he's one of the gang. And back in the day, I did love it. Not here. I was pretty pissed off at Xander the whole time in this episode. But, you know, that charming, funny, that I totally see through now as an adult. But at the time, it's hard for me to watch these episodes now sometimes because I want to love Xander because, every, you know, because... Of his place in the group and his role and and how he is supportive and is it is heroic in his own way, you know. I hope I'm going to come back around on Xander when we get out of high school. You know, he's still going to be problematic, but he's going to grow, and I look forward to not having to shout at him every week. The real problem here is that they kind of say, "Well, we've built up people's love of Xander, so we can make him be a complete shit, and they'll just coast." And it's like, it doesn't work. For our listeners, I mean, I'm sure it's like a running gag for them how many times we can say, shut up, Xander, because we do it so often. I mean, hell, we've got a t-shirt that says, shut up, Xander. (laughs) Which you can buy on TeePublic and Redbubble. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, really, I want to love Xander, but they make it it so goddamn hard. Hard. There are times when we will love Xander. The writers but don't even realize what they're doing. It's really inconsistent. Because they do love Xander. Joss loves yeah, Xander. That's the Jay thing. Jay loves Xander. They all love Xander. And so it's sort of like, do you understand what's coming across? And I don't think the writers do. No, the concept of Xander was really good. It's just that the actual execution of him is awful. I mean, we will see later on where Faith continues to go on and Xander kind of pulls back a little bit. I am more on Faith's side in this because Faith is working off half information. She is working from a place of a lot of anger and just being pointed in the wrong direction by people. And Xander is one of those people who has pushed her into the wrong direction. And Gwendolyn Post, of course, pushes her in the wrong direction because she's evil. But Xander certainly is at least more than half responsible for why Faith goes off all hair trigger. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. He he triggers her and he, he sets her off instead of trying to pull her in and saying, look, let's go and talk to the others and let's see what we can do. No, he's like, yeah, go ahead and do it. And I'll be there to help you kill this dude, knowing what he knows and not filling her in on anything. Getting into the next scene with Gwendolyn Post and Giles in the library. Oh, Giles, you're you're just... You're giving out too much information. Like, <laughs> like, like he was asking for it. Like, I'm really sorry, but it's like, oh, it's at a mansion on Crawford Street. And I was like, did you really need to give out that piece of information? Like, it, it, you knew he was going to get knocked out. He had to. He had it coming. My note was, don't hit my boyfriend. Stop hitting my boyfriend. <laughs> That's part of his job. Wow, like, I mean, Giles has been knocked out a lot, like, to the point of Cordelia saying that one day he's going to wake up in a coma. But this one was particularly bad. No, this is the this is the worst head trauma that I think we will ever see with Giles. I mean, this is a bad one. Like, a re- this is the worst one 
Which is kind of surprising because we don't really see Gwendolyn Post seriously wailing on him. I mean, I guess it happens off screen, but I mean, but the after effects that he actually gets hauled off to the hospital, like this is clearly serious. Yeah, there's going to be a spin-off movie where Will Smith comes to talk to Giles about everything. That... <laughs> Wait, what? Huh? I don't get it. <laughs> oh, the concussion movie. <laughs> yeah. I got it. I get that reference. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Well, it was a very forgettable movie, but I mean, I think he was nominated for a bunch of awards for it, but... Yeah, and that was all about the football players. That's I mean, the it's, it's I a shame that it. it's a forgettable movie because it is actually a pretty important subject. Yeah, but yeah, my my former PT guy was uh, also was a, a high school football coach, and we had many many discussions about like head trauma and concussions <laughs> yeah. in football, and and why. I mean, he was like a big crusader or trying yeah. to get them to stop like head bashing, etc. So that's the only reason I know about the movie. So excellent reference, MC. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just found that so funny. I couldn't stop giggling there for a minute. You were. <laughs> oh, I'm very oh, proud of that. that pulling out that deep cut. cut um, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but we, yeah, we move on to Buffy and Willow in the cemetery. And I'm, I want to give points <sighs> to Willow for like being on the verge of telling Buffy, but then she immediately loses them by not telling Buffy, even though Buffy like gave her an yeah. opening. It that's that scene makes me kind of crazy because it's again it's it like, is a plot device. A plot but device. I, I do want to. It's just really unrealistic, and it's like what changed? Well, that that they got attacked. Yeah, it, it's it's sloppy writing, and so what? They get attacked every day. I feel like it was supposed to be like a, a gag, like, haha, she's going to tell her. And then, of course, she doesn't because the vampire. Well, it doesn't yeah, work. No, it, it's one of those things where, no, it, it, it's terrible. It's like either have her fucking blurt it out or have her keep it to herself and be like all uptight and whatever. And Buffy is like, are you OK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we want it. She wants to tell her, but not do that. And then, like, just pull back at the end because, ha, ha, ha. Well, Willow changed her mind the end. Like, no. I do like the scene, though, because it is a scene and we have not seen a just solely Willow and Buffy bonding scene in quite a while. So I do appreciate that very much about the scene and the sweetness between them and that really strong relationship. And yeah, Willow's being duplicitous about her own shit. But I think she does want to tell Buffy. And I think if they, there hadn't been an attack, I do believe that Willow would have told Buffy. And Buffy would be disappointed in Willow, but she wouldn't be judgmental. She would sort of be like, you know what? I kept I kept Angel hidden. I get it. You need to either come clean or stop it. But like, like I'm not, I'm not giving it a pass. I'm not I'm I'm not giving the writers a pass because it is sloppy writing and plotting. Yeah, no, had there been that payoff, it would have been a perfect scene because it worked really well because they do have such a good bonding. It's just that they have to do that little gag at the end where she suddenly, oh, I'm not going to say anything. And that's what's so frustrating because it is very organic and very good between the two of them. And you're right. We haven't seen like a Buffy and Willow scene in a while. I want Willow to at least come out and tell somebody and especially Buffy who she trusts and knows will not judge her and will not like slap her and call her a whore or whatever the hell she thought she was going to do. But that would force the writers into a corner where they'd actually have to write a good part of this storyline, which they are apparently incapable and uninterested in doing. I think the thing is, Buffy would give Willow advice, and it would be, you gotta come clean or you gotta end this, and they've gotta have the, the 
the gotcha moment in the next episode for everything to go all right. I, you know, gave Willow points and then immediately took them away. And that's the same thing that's going to happen in this next scene with Xander because Xander and Faith come into the library and I give Xander points for giving up on his hatred of Angel to rather focus on Giles. But then as soon as Buffy and Willow come in, then he's immediately on the Angel Oh yeah. yeah. Of like, it was obviously Angel that did this. And I was like, what evidence that you have that it was Angel that did this? Never, never mind evidence. Never mind evidence. He literally in the previous scene said... I don't think it's Angel because there are no bite marks and this isn't his style. You argued against this. If it was Angel, there would be a fucking Giles corpse. By the way, Andy, I'm sorry I said Giles corpse. I I am in the corner crying now. There's no Giles corpse. But I mean, that is the truth, that there is no evidence that it is Angelus. Xander was actively arguing against that. And it's also too, like, sloppy. There's, like, Angelus, you know, for all his thing, had a lot of, you know, he sets this shit up. He, like, goes on big dramatic, you know, look at me, look what I did scenarios. He doesn't just go in and, like, you know, normally just, he wouldn't have just bashed him in the head the end. That's not Angelus' style. It also doesn't make any sense. If it was Angelus and he has the glove of Minigan, why is he hitting Giles upside the head with a statue? That's true. That's true. He'd be taking over the world, yeah. He's doing it to push Faith into what he pushes Faith into. Uh, and to just lash out at Buffy because he needs to lash out at Buffy. And Cause he's a dick. I will give one tiny point to Willow for telling Xander to shut up. Oh, yeah. She's just like, I'm not having you right now. I don't care what the fuck is going on between us right now. You stop it. She has learned something from Giles. <laughs> and also the fact that we tell Xander to shut up so often, and I think Willow is the first person other than Cordelia to actually say it on the show. So Willow needs a copy. She needs one of our t-shirts. Oh my god, for, is that why sure. we like Cordelia so much? Because <laughs> yes. she tells Xander to shut up? Yes. I think so. And she's awesome, but, you know. Willow is concerned about what is happening with the glove, with the the case as it may be. She can see the bigger picture. Yeah, she does not give a shit. She, which is, yeah. And Giles is really hurt. We gotta get this done. We have shit to do. Shut up. Yeah, well, I mean, this is what I was talking about before, and that even though these are teenagers, they're teenagers in extraordinary circumstances. This is where it clicks in Willow's head that, yes, this is an extraordinary circumstance. And she rises to the occasion instead of, like, thinking, oh, the only thing that's important is snogging. Unlike Xander, who, like, has this this mindset while faith and he and faith are fine giles is like no we have to care for giles no it can't be angel and then of course as soon as everyone else shows up he's like oh no fuck it it's angel it's like what the hell well and willow has always been more understanding of buffy about angel even in this thing she's like even the whole talking to her about forbidden loving because you know, she's obviously talking about herself but willow has always been sort of a a, 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 a bangle shipper like always she was always wanting to get together and for a while in season one and two that she was living vicariously through that relationship but you know she's she's not an angel hater i don't know if i call her a bangle shipper she's a buffy shipper. yeah she, she's a buffy slash happiness shipper like Buffy's with somebody? Excellent. Well, I don't even think it's Buffy being with somebody. I think it's Buffy being happy with somebody because Well, yeah. But then we go on to the next scene where Gwendolyn Post goes to the mansion on Crawford Street 
And boy, she does like the hit people in the back of the head move. She really <laughs> does. I think I have a note here. It's like, yeah, she really likes hitting people, doesn't she? Dun, dun, dun. Thwap. And one thing I will notice since we finally get an episode where it's Angel having more than just the one obligatory David Boreanaz in the opening credits scene is that Angel is cooler. Angel is acting much more like Angel will on his own show. He is much more capable of holding his own in a fight. He's a little bit quippy. And actually... I will say because he went and he went and got the glove and he's taking care of the living flame stuff. He's actually because, you know, my complaint about Angel through a lot of season one and two is he follows. He's not proactive at all in doing anything. It's all he's very he's already been really proactive about he's very proactive, which, you know, they are really building up that who Angel is going to be. They're really starting to work that in. And and not make him a follower, but make him someone that, that, you know, can figure things out and does things not solely because of Buffy, but because stopping evil is the right thing to do. Well, I think even the fact that he is, instead of just, like, he, a couple of times he did have fight scenes in previous seasons, but now we're actually getting him, I mean, obviously not to the point of Buffy, because he's not Buffy, but he's making comments during fights And it's like, this is much more of a heroic thing. This is something that we'll see more on his own show. So instead of treating him as this ex machina device of, we need somebody else who can fight as well as Buffy. We are seeing him kind of fitting more of that heroic mold so that they can set him up for his own show. And developing and developing a fighting style, which is going to be really important. So, you know, I can see that they know he's getting a spinoff. And they're working, and they're working on that. They're working on some characterization stuff there. And oh, what Faith mm. comes in, and oh, my poor baby. And I feel weird saying that about Faith, but she has so many trust issues. Faith has every reason to believe what Gwendolyn Post is saying to her in this this moment. Well, she has no context of Angel as being a good guy or being part of the Scooby gang or anything else she's never interacted with him so it's easy especially knowing he's a vampire and also just think about the last she has made a bond with Gwendolyn Post already in this episode and the last watcher she made a bond with got torn in half in front of her by a vampire she has every reason to lash out at Angel she was already cooking and then this comes up well, right, and then he's. It looks like he's attacked this watcher because he's a bad vampire, not because there are reasons. Yeah, he's just thrown her against a wall. I d- I'm gonna complain about the stunt matching here coming up, but I love that revert that back kick that the stunt woman does right into Angel's face. That one's like super bendy when they start fighting. I've always loved that like back. Yeah. It's oh so yeah. Cool looking. I, I didn't focus as much on the choreography in this scene because there was so much going on character-wise. It, it was just particular. Yeah, I was too, but it was particularly glaring in a couple places where I'm like, wow, your body types aren't even the same right now. Um, and does everybody's stunt person look like Xander? <laughs> not, and that's not, that, that's not saying that. That is not to say that the stunt woman that was doing face stunts actually looks like Nikki Brandon, but the way they had the wig, like it's a bad wig and it pulled over the face and it just... <laughs> hey, Kelly Donovan <laughs> needs some money. Yeah, that, that wig was such a bad wig that I was like, I can only see a part of the face and with the dark hair, I was like, 
Is this Angel's stunt double that looks like Xander just hanging oh, out Oh, God. Here? Again, stunt woman, if you're listening, I'm not I'm not <laughs> disparaging your looks because they went by so oh. fast I couldn't really see your face. I'm having flashbacks to 70s Doctor Who now. This yep. is... <laughs> but we'll see here when Buffy comes into this fight that Buffy attacks, and I get that Faith needs to be subdued, and Buffy is really worried about Angel. But... Buffy, I mean, from the beginning, Buffy has had this problem accepting Faith into her life. And I do put a lot of the onus onto what happened with Faith on Buffy. Uh, And that's, I mean, I do love Buffy. Um, And I understand that Faith made a lot of wrong choices. But I think that so many of the issues that came in that Buffy gets so overprotective of Angel and is willing to attack anybody who is threatening to harm him. And Buffy's, you know, kind of the fight first Mm -hmm. explanations later that it really shakes Faith's faith. I'm sorry, there's really the only way I can can put it. Because Buffy is attacking her and is not really explaining to her what's going on. And, you know, Faith gets called an idiot Uh, and this, and just everything about this is... Which, strictly speaking, is not advice. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just, I feel so... Like, that's the thing that, that I focused on so much, is that I feel so bad for Faith. Again, I, I've I've said this before, but I was not a Faith fan back in the day. But like, and you know, I will defend Buffy to the ends of the earth on most things. But I also don't blindly love her enough to like think everything she does is 100% right. But yeah, she just, I am fully invested in Faith in this watch through. Um, and I just, I want to cuddle her. Faith's whole arc in this season really is, I mean, not, not this isn't across the board, she she does some stuff which is like no oh, that's just bad but but there's a lot of tragedy in her arc it really like stuff just goes wrong for her so much and has clearly gone wrong for her before i mean you know, i think a lot of faith's motivation and she does some really shitty things i guess she you know she's a a girl that has never had love you know and that can lead to a lot you know i know a lot of people and i knew people in high school and i knew you know People in gangs, even, that just a lot of it came from a lack of love, and then it makes you hard, and it makes you cold, and it makes you willing to cut yourself off and dissociate with the bad things you do. Well, if you think about the Scooby gang as a family, which obviously they are, uh, with Giles as the father figure, and Xander, Willow, and Buffy are siblings, and Faith so desperately wants to be Buffy's little sister. And I think in a way, especially when we get into season seven, we will see the the Slayers as like the sisterhood. Faith is like the black sheep little sister who is trying so hard to get the golden child's attention. And there is just this constant animosity coming towards her that I can kind of understand her just completely pulling herself away. And, and yeah, I like in the, when I was first watching this, I mean, I enjoyed Faith and certainly, you know, as a, I forget how old I was at the time, I was, 98 i was 15 so oh, yeah god i was in sure. love with eliza dushku at the time but now looking back at, at it now i'm just like oh my god this you know, this child who i just want to give family to yeah that's the point where i will point out that faith is a damaged 
teenager that does not have a fully formed way. And again, you know, Buffy's got a rough life because of being the Slayer, but Buffy is fully middle class. There's a lot of class issues happening there too. There's a lot of, you know, Buffy is definitely middle class and a little upper middle class when she still lived in LA versus Faith who, you know, and knowing what I knew in the comics, her, her, her parents were terrible. She had terrible parents and she never stood a chance. And it breaks my fucking heart. I will probably mention this again once we get to her with the mayor. But Faith is treated as such a sexualized character. I think one thing that comes up later on when she's when she flirts with Giles when she first comes in. And when she makes her connection with the mayor, she makes some sexualized jokes and he immediately shuts that down. And I think that's the moment where she connects with him on this daughterly level. He's not objectifying her. Faith is looking for family and she just does not get that at all from the Scoobs. And it just, it breaks my fucking heart. I do think she will find it a little more again when we get over onto Angel. And this is one of the reasons why I love Angel Investigations so much more than I love the Scoobies because they're, they are such a damaged group of people and they all know that they're damaged and that's why they're so drawn to each other and we've talked about how you know buffy and her group are super clickish they don't like new people they, they're not a fan of new people they're super clickish and they're morally superior moving on in this fight i like that angel saves willow it's a nice little touch i do that is good yeah no i, I really like that well, okay, did anybody else just go, oh shit, Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet? <laughs> that is what I wrote in my notes. Oh shit, no other spoilers in that, folks, but I had an Infinity Gauntlet moment. Well, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's basically, yeah. <laughs> oh snap. Yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I didn't really, I mean, I, I certainly have had thoughts throughout this episode where we're talking, and it's like, yep, there's a glove, it's... Yeah, this is a good time for gloves. They're very hot right now. I, I unfortunately know way too much about the Infinity Gauntlet to compare it to the Glove of Minigun. So yeah. yeah, no, I I did not I did not really pick up on that, but you know, uh, yes, definitely. Now the only thing I can say is oh snap. <laughs> oh, <laughs> serious pun damage here. Did anyone want to run around their um, their house going, Tafrim! Tafrim! Because I totally did. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I think, yeah, I'm just a I think that's just But yeah, you. I did. I sat in the bedroom going, Tafrim! I know, and we love you for it. I have to admit, my, my the thing I associated with this episode was the Torchwood episode. They keep oh, oh, yeah! yeah. Yes! Too. Yes! <laughs> oh, duh! Yeah, the resurrection glove. So. Oh, yeah, good. so yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I went with the glove. If if people haven't figured out that we're huge Doctor Who fans, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're... Uh, yeah. <laughs> just a little. Buffy straight up murders Gwendolyn Post, doesn't she? Well, okay, she doesn't. I don't think she knows what's going to happen. No, she has no idea what's going to happen. She cuts off her arm because that's and again, Buffy, real smart in a moment. Yeah, she could have bled out, but in the moment she needed to get the glove off. So removing the hand is the easiest thing to do. And also, we've already just we've already discussed that you can't once it's on, you can't remove it. So it, therefore, she has to cut the arm off because that's the only way to to neutralize it. Yeah, I, I think Buffy was trying to neutralize, but I don't. I mean, she didn't know the lightning was going to come through and kill the person. Okay, well, 
let me rephrase. We make such a huge deal in this season about the killing of humans, even if it is by accident. Buffy accidentally killed Gwendolyn Post. Yes, and I do have that in my notes. The next thing I don't think she means is not like a, like I'm going to throw a knife at her head, you know, whatever. But yeah, we make such a, but that's only relevant to Faith. When Buffy does it, it's fine. And yes, I did I did note that. And the show, that's the show's thing too. We've talked about this before and, and the show is thoroughly inconsistent on this. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why I just have to point it out. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, it's a good, no you're, you're, a good you're absolutely yeah. right. And this is another example of where the show goes, well, we have to get out of the story somehow. We're going to do this. And they don't really think about, they, they think about killing humans when it's convenient. I think also the the excuse here, which is not an excuse, is oh she's evil, she's so evil that it's okay, it's okay for her to die because she's not really human, she's a monster, but she isn't. It's only fate that has to feel emotional consequences of killing a human, which she does a hundred percent on accident. Like there was, you know, she walks around a bad corner, Buffy, and we talk about her PTSD and the psychology. Well, I do anyway. Psychology all the time that like. There should be more emotional consequences for Buffy, but in order to move storyline, they gloss over it. So, yeah, no, I don't think Buffy meant to do it, but I also did note, like UMC, that, yep, kills another human, no consequences. Gwendolyn Post is dead, and we get into the aftermath at the school, and everybody's talking about Angel. And all of a sudden, everyone's cool. What the actual fuck? <laughs> I was so fucking pissed at Xander in this moment. Buffy's sex life and who she has sex with is none of your business regardless of a Calderush curse. If this was any other boyfriend and he made those, like, he's just like, as long as you don't, I don't even know what the word to use. I'm going to say bone town, but I know that's what he is. Give him a happy, I think. Give him a happy regardless. Policing Buffy's sex life, policing a woman's or a man's sex life at all is just, it's bad. And that Xander, shut up. I would also like to make a hypothesis. Angel didn't know about the loophole in his curse at the time. Now, he he will be celibate throughout the rest of Buffy. But once we get over onto Angel, he gets down a couple times. And a couple of times it's even pointed out that, you know, the whole curse thing. I think Mm. that that particular loophole in the Calderash curse will never be activated again. Not because he's not sleeping with Buffy, but because now he's aware of it. So that awareness is something that's always going to be in his head. Like when he loses his soul in season four of Angel, they have to, you know, go through this whole, they, they do have it culminate in, in sex, but they have like this whole dream sequence where Every single, like, little problem in an Angel's life has to be solved. And it is kind of like this, you know, almost like dying dream for Angel. So Mm. we don't know if it was actually, like, a thing. So I think Buff, like, they're not going to chance it. But I think Buffy and Angel, if they really wanted to, they probably could have sex and he would not lose his soul. Yeah, and it's none of Xander's business, regardless of what. It is none of Xander's business, yeah. I mean, I mean that said, you, you really shouldn't take that chance, because you don't really know. <laughs> yes, you don't really know in taking the chance, but it's still none of Xander's business. Um, and I've said this before mm-hmm. about Angel. Oh, no, no, like, I'm I, just talking, I yeah. always was w- wondering why Connor's birth 
And that happiness they had just those moments before Connor was taken, that didn't trigger it. Because for Angel, that would be true happiness. Yeah, well, the, the whole curse thing is, is so erratic. Are you saying the show is inconsistent? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that, except, you know, if I did. <laughs> and again, the watchers suck and need to share information better. Giles does say it was in an email. He, he thinks there was a memo. They, say, they swear there is a memo, yeah. Poor Giles. But the episode ends in Faith's hotel. And I have to say, even like they did have that scene before where uh, Post says, you know, vampires don't tend to knock. Also, it's day. But even if it's daytime, Faith lives in a super sketchy neighborhood in this super sketchy hotel. So why do you have your door unlocked and just invite somebody in? Like, I mean, I know you're the slayer, but come on, let's have some, you know, common sense. Also, demons of various sorts are not held off by the knocking. And it's also various demons can be out in the day that are not necessarily vampires. I also just thought of something. It's public accommodations. Yes? It's public accommodations because it's a motel. Oh, gosh, right. Ooh. Yeah, I, for- I forgot that was the- that they do uh, bring that up, that vampires can come into motel. Right, that's true, because it is. Yeah, it's public accommodations. Same reason they can come to the high school, some reason, you know. Although, to be fair, they probably still don't knock. Yeah. That is true. And it also, it was still the day. And yeah, my, my heart breaks for Faith because this is the, this is like, I do this too. is like the last moment. Like, this is the turning point. This is the moment when it, when it just turns over. It's downhill from here. I'll give Buffy a couple points because she's trying right here to actually make amends as much. I mean, she doesn't know what everything is going on in Faith's head, um, but she does sort of kind of try to like you know, extend in an olive branch in her own Buffy way and then Faith rebuffs her. So it just goes downhill on both sides. But I think also Buffy is a little emotionally constipated. I mean, look at who her father figure is. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Buffy's always been a little emotionally constipated and she will continue to be. They get a great job on that makeup because Eliza's face looks really puffy. I mean, and Eliza at this time in her life has a rounder face because she's, yeah, it's baby, you know, it's younger. But like that, it her face looks really swollen. It does look swollen. They did a really good job with that. And that she's got the thing on the chin and Buffy's got the, it's just sort of a, a mirroring thing with the, the, they they are so well matched that they, they have the ability to bruise each other. That's really important for them to build up the fact that Faith and Buffy are absolute matches for each other in terms of fighting. Yeah. And it's really going to pay off later on in the season. And like we said before, we really like the way Eliza Dushku says Spartan. 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 Okay. So uh, final thoughts on Revelations. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have two two things. I, I have a thing that's bugging me about the magic flame. Uh-oh. <laughs> Shooty, I be magic not working? Shooty, I be magic. No, 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 no. The magic itself I'm fine with. My problem is Giles gives us to believe that he didn't think it was possible to destroy the Glove of Minigon. Unless we assume that Gwendolyn Post's attitude that he's not all that bright and his library sucks, how does she, maybe she does because she knows all about the Glove. How does Angel know about the Living Flame? If Giles thinks it can't be done at first. I was wondering about that. Angel knows some stuff. Angel wasn't part of that discussion, so Angel must have some other access to something, and he thinks otherwise. It, it, it's implied that it's, it's, it's somehow a, a not well-known thing. 
that it would be hard to come up yeah, with. Yeah, I mean, Angel does, I mean, he is the one who stole the codex, so he is the one who had it and was able to get it to Giles. Oh, there's that. And I, I think he, Spike, and Drew had, like, a pretty good library of stuff. And we will see over on Angel that he has a, he has a pretty good library of stuff, even without Wesley around. And a great memory of, like, there could have been a time that, there could have been a time that Angelus was looking for the glove of Minigon. He had just had a different source than Giles. I think what what my actual problem is, what my problem is that they had the thing with Giles saying, I didn't think this could be done. Fair enough. Like, they could have left that out and there wouldn't have been a problem and everything would have been fine and it's not needed. My other thing is, am I correct in assuming that Xander calls dibs on the crossbow just because crossbows are cool and that he has absolutely no facility with the crossbow whatsoever? Yes, probably. Okay, that's what I kind of figured. So that that's in character. Fine. I mean, I think they've all had target practice now, considering how many times we've all tranked Oz. That's true. Well, and also they <laughs> were they were scoobying together. They were doing the whole <laughs> night hawk or whatever his name was. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. we may have tried night still, the, yeah. night, the yeah. weapons when, when they were all saying I still assume he's no good with it. It could also be that whole sketchy, you know, when he remembers that he was an army man and, you know, has that, oh. that military background, which uh. which is also sporadic and, and, and erratic. Maybe yeah. he knew how to use a crossbow. No, I, I think David's right that Jander's just... And it's, yeah. But it's cool, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Crossbow cool, gonna kill some shit. I have a crossbow now. Crossbows are cool. <laughs> now I have headcanon that they haven't trained with shooting. <laughs> Because when they try to trank Oz and everything goes wrong because they trank someone else is so much fun that they just don't want to change that. (laughs) (laughs) There's like, no, we'll just shoot people with the tranquilizer dart. Let's see what happens. (laughs) Uh, This is not a favorite episode of mine. I think it's a really important episode. But, you know, I I like it a lot. I think Gwendolyn Post is a great one-off villain. Serena Scott Thomas Mm -hmm. is great. And I like, I, you know, Doug Petrie... Sometimes is written a stinker, but for the most part, I don't think Petrie has that same kind of voice. You know what I mean? It's like, you know when it's Jane, you know when it's Joss, because they have... But, you know, Doug Petrie's a really solid addition. Petrie, I've listened to a couple of his commentaries and, you know, on episodes, and, you know, he really loved this show. He's a solid writer. He's competent and he gets the job done. Yeah, he's competent and he's solid. And, like... I mean, I'm just looking over his list of episodes. I mean, there's not one in here that I would say it's like, oh, that's like a really bad episode. He's written some really good ones. Yeah, I don't think there's one where I'm just like, it's not like David Greenwald where it's like, ooh, that one is amazing and that one is trash. Like he's just, you know, but Petrie's very competent and he has a really good sense of pace. I do notice that on his episodes, Petrie has a really, this is a really well-paced episode. There's not a lot of... Um, and sometimes I like a little bit of like, you know, gang bonding interaction, those little kind of interstitial scenes. But in this one, it just it, it does what it needs to do and it moves along really fast and it establishes a lot of stuff. So I, I like it. It's a very, very solid episode. I think his writing here is very solid. I think the real problems here are things that had to be shoehorned in. Right, because of the, the arcs of the season. But what what are the other episodes that he's done? Well, I'm just looking it over. I think that he has an affinity for faith. He does a he lot does. of faith-related episodes. Mm. Um, he does Bad Girls, which is the episode where Faith uh, kills the oh. mayor, uh, the um, deputy mayor. Um, does This Year's Girl, which is the episode before... Wait, is 
Is this yeah? This year's girl is the episode before they do the body swap, right? And that's the one where Faith wakes up. I can't. I sometimes I forget. He does Fool for for Love, which, which is, is a fantastic episode. One of the yeah. best episodes. Yeah. Right. And then there's uh, Weight of the World, which is like the episode before mm-hmm. uh, the gift. Uh, two to go, Beneath You, End of Days. He's really good at getting really exciting transitional episodes. Like, I think that's, and that's a gift in a writer's room is that's why he does a lot of second to the the penultimate episodes. I just like that word. And then over on Angel, he also does In the Dark, which is the second part of the the Spike two-parter in the first season, which is not a great episode, but it's, you know, it's not bad. And The Trial, which I think is a really good episode, which is during the, the Darla arc. Now, unfortunately, he was responsible for The Defenders. On Netflix. So sorry, Doug. The Defenders had a lot of problems hey, with it. I know. It could be worse. He could have been responsible for Iron for Fist. Sure. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. We love you, Doug Petrie. Come on our podcast we and do. talk to us. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, Jan, do you have any final thoughts on this? I, it's funny. You know, we were talking, you were saying the same thing. When I, back in the day, I was not a big Faith fan. I think Thumb was part of like her fandom. People that I knew that her Faith fans were like extremely, extremely, you know, intense about things but I'm, I'm liking her more and i'm seeing more of like the nuances and feeling more sympathy for her i think this time and this episode really you know really set that up for me mm-hmm. so i like it and I, I do i feel so badly for her and i just want to yell at like the scoobies and brant and tell them why they're being so stupid can i just say jan i knew you'd change your mind about faith i knew it i knew it <laughs> I think I agree with every. I think I've said everything I have to say about this yeah. episode. I just feel really yeah. bad for Faith in this episode. So, uh, in terms mm. of trivia, I've just got some music at the bronze. Dingoes ain't my baby, aka Four Star Mary, perform Run. And after Oz leaves the stage, they uh, play West of Here by Lotion because they love their lotion on this show. It and puts the lotion. <laughs> in the or else it gets the hose again. Sorry. <laughs> It's okay. And at the end of the episode, Silver Dollar by Man of the Year plays. So I think that's about it. So next week, uh, we'll have a lot of fun because guess who's returning to Sunnydale? It's Spike! Spike! (laughs) Next week, we'll be talking about Lover's Walk. So until then, grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast, and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube, Tumblr, and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at Hellmouth Return, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitcher, and check out our show merchandise on TeePublic and Redbubble. Also check out our sister podcasts, Drag Hags and the Trash Compactor podcast. See you on Tuesday. Grr. Arg.